Hello, Crosswalk. We are in week four on this 4th of July of this Faith by Design series, Coincidence, 4th on the 4th. We're studying the book of James. This is design thinking for our faith. We're asking the question, what is the goal of faith? What kind of people do we want to be? What kind of people does God want us to be? And what we're learning, we've learned for the last couple of weeks, is that James tells his readers to live consistently with what they have learned in Christ. He wants his readers to mature in their faith by living what they say they believe. Like a better way to summarize this is simply hear the word, do the word, or walk the talk. That's an even simpler way to say it. So that's the introduction. Let's just dive right into what chapter two tells us. It opens with this very difficult question. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Some translators say, instead of if you favor, they say if you show favoritism, if you're prejudiced, or if you're even biased towards some people. This word favoritism is rooted in a very Jewish concept and can be translated to receive a person according to their face. In their culture, judges were not to raise the face of those they were judging. They were not to see your face if you were being judged, so they could not make a decision based on how you looked, or whether they knew you, or your family, whether you were wealthy or influential. This is how they remained impartial. So they were not to lift your face. If they were looking at you and they were about to pronounce judgment on you, they were not to lift your face so they could actually see who you were. So this text could actually be translated this way. How can you show favoritism towards people according to their face? Friends, this word, this word today is timely. Favoritism, prejudice, it rips apart lives and churches. And as we're finding out, it rips apart countries, our whole communities. This word today is timely. Here's an interesting little tidbit. John Adams, one of the writers of the Declaration of Independence, wrote his wife, Abigail. This is what he said. I love this. The second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable in the history of America. He was way wrong. It wasn't the second day, but that's the day they wrote the Declaration. July 4, today, is what we remember. The words he and others crafted uh, to put together this declaration. I'm going to say the first couple lines. You know them very well. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our Pledge of Allegiance ends with these words, and you can say them with me. I know you will. With liberty and justice, say it with me, for, that's right, for all. And as much as we love these statements, we know that these writers have good intentions, but the reality is that even those who were drafting these words were being served by black slaves they did not consider equal. We know that it would be another 80 years before the Emancipation Proclamation, and that as we've all learned in the last few months, 250 years later, we're still living in a society that hasn't come to terms with everything that that word all actually means. All created equal, 
justice for all. But before the birth of this nation, which we celebrate today, our faith, our Christian faith, was teaching us and has been teaching us this very thing for thousands of years. Prejudice in its most obvious form, which is racism, is an abomination to God, and it blasphemes his name. So today, James asks this very tough question. How can you claim to have faith and at the same time show favoritism? How can you be prejudiced? So here's some ways I want us to think about this today. Number one, let's recognize that we all have a tendency to show favoritism, prejudice, and bias. No, this passage is not about them, which is the first thing we do. We think about them, those people who discriminate. It is about us. We want to assume that those of us who spend time in Scripture studying it and worshiping are past the ignorance of prejudice. But we better not make those assumptions. Our path to spiritual maturity, as we're learning from James, begins with the realization that we're all imperfect. People who study bias tell us that our prejudices in our, are buried deep, so deep that, that often we don't even recognize them. We can't even really pinpoint where they came from. It could be your family systems or your social groups. And sometimes they're buried deep in, and embedded in our language, in our worldview, into our hearts. And, and the scriptures tell us that from there, from our hearts, our mouths speak. We have to admit our vast propensity to treat people differently, to stereotype, to make assumptions, to speak about other people and individuals as they, they. We need to hear James speak this truth to us today. Because as one author says, I love this, if the shoe fits, we need to burn it. We have to admit that our personal and collective impulse to make judgments about people based on whatever, what they look like, socioeconomic status, their gender, all of that is evil. If you're dressed better, you get better upgrades, you get more perks, you have better outcomes in a court of law. If you're taller, by the way, research tells us you're more likely to be chosen for leadership. It has nothing to do with whether your skill matches or your height matches your skill or your character. Even in the Old Testament, we know that Saul was chosen because he was tall. And that did not turn out, did it? We have this impulse to judge according to all kinds of things, including, and today the most relevant way, the color of our skin. It is, as we're learning, one reason why these murders that we've been seeing in our headlines, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and many, many others have taken place. This tendency to show favoritism often goes unchecked. But James is a good preacher, like your pastor Tim. He didn't just make a statement about favoritism. He doesn't just say this is the way we're supposed to avoid life. He goes on to explain with an illustration that everyone can understand. A verse 2 begins this way. For example, he says, Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give a special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can't stand over here or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't, that, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? 
when you make distinctions, distinctions between people based on anything, again, color of skin, young or old, socioeconomic status, we're guided by evil motives, is what James says. And we need to be aware of these tendencies because they work against the gospel. And our tendencies, they're often wrong. How often do we assume people who look like us are, are our kind of people? Or people who don't look like us are not? And often, how often are we wrong about those assumptions? So a few years ago, I decided, to my wife's horror, that all my clothing was going to come from secondhand stores. I got some awesome suits. I loved them. I thought I looked great. Now, finding the right size, you may have not guessed, is kind of impossible for me. So they were mostly loose-fitting, sometimes stained, actually, most of the time stained. I had moth holes, not super trendy, a lot not super trendy, but I thought I, I looked fantastic in them, and I was saving money because I'm cheap. And there was one season when I grew this super long beard, my hair was long, and you're, you're getting the picture. One Sabbath morning, I was headed out of the house to go preach at a church, and Shelly, my wife, looked at me with a really like, frightened look, a concerned look on her face. She said, you're going out like that? And I said, why, yes, I am. Challenge accepted. But just in case, on my way out, I took a look in the mirror, and I, and I, looked, like, I looked like a neighbor without a home, if you know what I'm saying. When I got to the church I was speaking at, I walked into the lobby, and it was as if an alarm went off somewhere. It was an intruder alarm. And then what seemed like well-rehearsed intruder protocol went into effect. Three or four deacons stood around me, and they prevented me from moving. They were either greeters, first impression people, or whatever we call them now. And one of them said to me, I'll never forget this, hello, dude. Like he had practiced how to speak to people who looked like me. Hello, dude. So I answered in hello, dude language. I said, hello, dude. And he says, can I help you? Yeah, at this point, I knew what was going on. So I did uh, what you may call a very bad thing. I decided to test them. I said, hey, um, can I use your phone? Oh, no, he said. There may be a phone, a pay phone. No one's even heard of a pay phone anymore. A pay phone down the street at a gas station nearby. I'm like, are you serious? Look, at this point, the person who invited me to speak came around the corner and said these words, Pastor Sam, we have been expecting, a, expecting you. And then he looked at them and said, this is our speaker for the day. They, they melted. It was as if their, their understanding of the things that held the universe together began to melt around them. It was awesome. And I have forgiven them. And I have mostly moved on from secondhand suits. But what I experienced that day, it is very small, but it exposes a way, way bigger problem. Human eyes for appearance often, if not always, lead to mistakes. Listen to what James says in verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. This is his way of saying, pay attention. Listen up. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? 
Aren't they the ones who slandered Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? James exposes that we pander to the wrong people. The people we think are worthy of our time, attention, and energy often are the ones who have complete disregard for the poor and for the, and for the very faith that we hold dear. They slander the name of Jesus, but yet we hold them in high esteem. But yet the people we ignore or we treat poorly, the people we sometimes block from entering a church, I know none of you do that, but in that day, those people, James says, are the ones who are rich in faith. Let's not forget this, that you and I, we worship a Lord who in his inaugural sermon, Jesus, said this, quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So the message of James, chapter 2, we are first to recognize that we all have a tendency to show favoritism, prejudice, and bias. And then we need to obviously reject, the second thing is reject all forms of favoritism. We've got to root them out, friends. When James gives us these instructions, it isn't like him just giving us some moral platitudes. He also gives us reasons for these instructions. Why do this? Why root out this from your life and from your community? Why? Obvious reasons. First, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember how verse 1 opened in this chapter? He says, my dear brothers and sisters. He says some of the most common words in James. He says it over and over and over again. He begins with many of his teaching this this way. I'm going to run through some of them, James 1. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. James 2.14.16, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you have faith but don't show it by your actions. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then don't give that person food or clothing. What good does that do? Chapter 3, verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we, teach, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Let's pause here for a moment, because I think this is really great. I heard a preacher a long time ago say, there'll be two lines of people on Judgment Day. If you see a line with preachers in it, get in the other line, because every sermon is reviewable. So if you see your Pastor Tim in a line on Judgment Day, get in the other line. That one's going to take a long time, because we pastors, we talk a lot. We teach a lot. Or maybe you can get in that line and keep us company. <laughs> James chapter 4, verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. James 5, 7. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. James 5, 9. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. James 5, 19. My brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, these aren't filler words. I went through all the examples of this in James. James is making a theological point. The reason we don't speak evil, the reason why we look for, for 
can bring someone back who is wandering away. Well, the reason why we don't show today's lesson favoritism, it is because we are a family and we treat everyone equally. We can't, we can't trivialize this. This is the root of favoritism. Is at, the, at the heart of this is a denial of the fact that we are family. Brothers and sisters, all of us beloved children of the same God. And for this one reason that is obvious, our faith, it is incompatible. I mean, our faith incompatible with favoritism. We began in verse 1 with this question. How can you claim to have a faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and show favoritism? You cannot hold to faith in Christ, to faith in Jesus, the one who left his glory in heaven, the one who, as Paul says in Colossians, is before all things, the firstborn over all creation, who died on a cross for every human that has ever and will ever live. We cannot hold to faith in this Jesus and also show favoritism to anyone. Favoritism? Favoritism is incompatible with the Christian faith. Is there such a thing as a Christian racist? I know people who, are, who call themselves Christians and who are racist. But if we take our faith seriously, those two labels are mutually incompatible. And this is not a small thing. James says, if you do this, you are committing a sin. And you're convicted by the law, convicted by the law as a transgressor. Verse 8, this is going to get, get really tough, friends. But we got to hear this word today. Verse 8, yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law, which we all know, as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you, fa- if you love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin and you're guilty of breaking the law. And it is also worth noting that James doesn't just tell us to not show favoritism. He also tells us instead to love our neighbor. This is the most basic command in the Bible. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And you know his answer. It is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus calls his followers to more than just keeping righteous rules. He called them to righteous relationships. We're not bound to ritual laws. We're bound to love on a deeper crosswalk, a deeper expression of love means that we go beyond being nice and pleasant and move towards way deeper expressions of love, mercy and compassion and justice and, yes, advocacy. It is why we around here, we like to say, love well, and we cannot back down from that statement. You cannot back down from love. So if we're tempted to say, James, Come on, is this really a big deal? I mean, it's not murder, it's not adultery, it's not lying, just take it easy. James has this to say to us in verse 10. For the person who keeps all the laws 
except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We root, finally, we root favoritism out, out of our lives, because we have experienced and hope to experience God's grace and mercy. This is how James puts it in verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. How did you become part of the family of God? How did any of us become part of the family of God? Did we have the right qualifications or pedigree? Were we morally superior? Were any of us? Or was it solely a matter of God's grace? Listen, if this is true, then why would we exclude people from this great family based on those external factors? We're all going to appear before the judgment of God someday. And we will be judged, says James, on the basis of what we have done. Not, not on the basis of what we have done, really. It's on the basis of grace. Because none of us are getting this right. It's grace. We have all experienced grace. And we're going to be judged only by the, by the grace of God because of Jesus hanging on the cross. We're going to be judged by that. We're also going to be judged by the way we have treated others. Why? Because someone who understands grace thoroughly treats others differently. We offer grace to everyone. I want to tell you about another scene in another lobby of another church that I had the privilege to witness. I saw this drama play out in front of me one Sabbath morning. A young woman walked in looking like, as I said earlier, a neighbor without a home. Her clothing was a complete mess. She had clearly been in some kind of fight the day before or maybe even hours before. Her face was swollen. And it looked like she had bled from some of her injuries. She had two small kids. And those kids looked scared. She walked into the lobby of this church and this time an alarm went off. But it wasn't an intruder alarm. I think it was a child of God in need love alarm. And I saw one of those, we call them now first impression people, first impressions. We used to call them just greeters. One of those people who had a deep love of the glorious Lord Jesus who we sing and worship about. One of these people who are doing the work every day of rooting out that favoritism that James talks about. One of those people who have clearly experienced grace in such a deep way, they're ready to show it. A greeter that lives in a country that taught her these lines about being created equal and justice for all. But she has gone deeper and wider. I saw this person, this woman, walk over to that young woman with her kids. And she wrapped her arms around her and just held her. I remember seeing the tears from that young mom and I heard this greeter say to her, you, you are safe here. There's not judgment here. You'll be loved here. And that 
That is the picture of the kind of faith James is inviting us to. May God bless us as we pursue that beautiful and worthy goal to love well. Amen.